when I went to Liverpool, um, the the GTA development was fairly undeveloped. There was um, a series of workshops that any uh, doctoral researcher could access if they were interested in teaching. They didn't have to be doing any teaching, they didn't have to actually have any teaching lined up, but it just if they were interested in maybe learning a bit more about teaching or potentially doing a bit of teaching in the future. So those workshops already existed and I was tasked with um, developing that offer for postdoctoral researchers further so that they would have a structured route to gaining associate fellowship of the Higher Education Academy. So that was the remit, was to create a route for them to get their associate fellowship. But that was absolutely the detail of the brief that I was given. Just find a way, do, do something to support them to get their associate fellowship. So um, I did a bit of a trawl of other Russell Group universities. I focused on Russell Groups um, to see the kind of things that they were doing for their graduate teaching assistants at the time. So I went to their websites, poked around as much as I could. Um, where I found things that I thought were quite interesting, I contacted people within their development teams to ask them, <clears throat> you know, what are you doing? Does that work? Have you got other things that you're doing that I can't see? Um, so I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out what was going on at other universities and also doing a bit of a literature review as well of, of um, the writing that people had done about what's effective for doctoral students. And based on that, I, I decided that what I wanted to do was move away from the kind of survival skills, the kind of initial training workshops that postdoctoral researchers generally start off get access to and I know they want it I know that's what they want but I wanted to move away from that so that <clears throat> I wasn't just giving them the hints and tips for now but but trying to encourage them to think longer term about their professional development and think about what tools what approaches, what frameworks I could give them as they went forward. So it wasn't just the hints and tips, but it was a process for continuing professional learning and thinking about how they continue that journey as they become novice academics potentially in the future. And that was partly because I was in a research intensive. And my assumption was that actually a lot of the doctoral researchers in research intensives who are interested in teaching will potentially become those academics of the future. So I wanted to give them the tools to, to continue to develop that practice. So there were some underpinning assumptions um, in terms of why we would want to encourage doctoral students to take this continuing professional learning approach. So the first one is that we would want to model appropriate conceptions of knowledge and learning. So often the doctoral researchers come to those workshops because they want you to tell them the answer. They want the expert to stand at the front of the room and tell them the answer. And that's not really an appropriate model. These are people who are teaching in higher education. We would want them to move away from that idea of the teacher-focused transfer of knowledge. So I was thinking, well, perhaps I ought to model that then in the approach that I'm taking. Um, we want them to become effective professional academics, so people who can take their professional development forward, not just, um, not just know what to do in very specific contexts, but to be able to adapt their practice to different contexts and to feel like they were in control of their own 
professional development. Um, to equip them with the ability, and I've underlined disposition there, and I'll come back to that in a second, to continue to develop their practice as they go forward. We often, as academic developers, encounter academic staff who are, who are there because they've got to be there. They've come to the workshop because they've been told to be there, and they kind of sit at the back, either on their laptop or with their arms folded, looking grumpy. Um, <laughs> because they, they, they're not really invested in that academic professional development so I thought actually I've got I've got these people right at the beginning of their academic career so maybe if I can get them to see the value in this we'll produce the kind of academics who will go forward and want to want to continue to develop and also <clears throat> I've said here very broadly we live in times of unpredictable and constant change and I think we experience that very strongly in higher education there's the pace of change is very fast. Um, we constantly come up against, you know, new frameworks, new ways of measuring academic output. Um, our doctoral students, often if they do become academics, they'll go to a different institution, which so they find themselves in a different context quite quickly. So how do we prepare those doctoral students to be able to cope with uncertainty to be able to cope with change and to be comfortable with that as a state of being really. So you might be familiar with Ron Barnett's work and I read this again quite recently and it struck me that actually the, when he's talking about how we support people to learn in times of very fast and uncertain change, um, they're the kinds of things that actually I was thinking about when I was trying to prepare these doctoral students so actually giving them knowledge for the here and now isn't preparing them for an uncertain future I can't prepare them for a future that I don't know what that future looks like what kind of challenges they're going to face so how do I prepare them for that uncertainty <clears throat> and Barnett says learning for uncertainty uh, is here a matter of learning to live with uncertainty it's a form of learning that sets out not to dissolve anxiety, for it recognises that that's not feasible, but sets out to provide the human wherewithal to live with anxiety. So it's not, it's not about removing anxiety, taking it away, it's about giving people the, the ability to live with that anxiety and to cope with that anxiety <coughs> and to move forward in the face of uncertainty and anxiety. And he suggests that actually that, that type of learning is not accomplished with the acquisition of knowledge or skills. It's accomplished by <coughs> um, encouraging forward a form of human being that can act purposively and judiciously in uncertain times. And Barnett talks about dispositions, about encouraging and teaching dispositions rather than skills. So dispositions towards... Um, reflection towards thoughtfulness, towards carefulness, that then within different contexts when they're confronted with uncertainty will prompt people to use certain skills and knowledge that are relevant to that context at that particular time. So in, so the, a pedagogy of dispositions rather than knowledge or skills. So 
this is kind of this isn't this wasn't my thinking at the time in this specific way but when I came back to Barnet recently I thought yeah I think that's kind of what I was trying to do it, this makes sense to me in the context of the work that I was doing there so for me then there was a shift in focus really it's it wasn't about how we prepare doctoral students to teach that's not what I was trying to do I was trying to think about how do we prepare doctoral students to learn from their teaching and instill that disposition towards continuing professional learning. And in thinking about what this, what this development might look like, these were some of the considerations that were kind of at the forefront of my mind at the time. So, it was about preparing these students, the graduate teaching assistants, to claim their associate fellowship of the Higher Education Academy. Um, Liverpool at the time already had a number of accredited pathways, so it had a recognition scheme, it had um, a postgraduate certificate in learning and teaching, and it also had a certificate in professional studies, so it had three different accredited routes. So I thought, I don't really want to come up with another accredited route that we have to then take to HEA and get that as they were at the time and get that accredited so I thought okay we've got this framework how can I work with that <clears throat> and I decided that I would create a route that would prepare them to make their claim through our recognition route so through the recognition route they had to give a short presentation um, and they also had to it was a professional conversation dialogue type approach so that was how they were going to make their claim for fellowship. Um, they generally be, be applying for at least, if not getting, academic jobs in the nearish future, so kind of in two to three years' time. So I had one eye on the kind of teaching-related transferable skills that they would need in the fairly short-term future. So I thought, okay, what transferable skills can we build into this as well? Uh, as we talked about earlier, they were relatively time poor, so these were, these were uh, doctoral researchers who were teaching or demonstrating. Uh, they were doing this development, they were doing their research, they were being asked to go to conferences, they were having an actual life outside of all of this stuff that they were doing. Some of them, not all of them to be fair. Um, so I wanted to design something that was relevant to them that was timely because we have those um, uh, complaints don't we that actually I go to the generic session and it's not about my discipline and it's not when I need it and all those kind of complaints or that you know I'm not in a position to use what I've learnt anytime soon um, or they get that message from their supervisor so we've heard earlier that supervisors will actually block uh, doctoral students from coming to some of these development events if particularly if the supervisor thinks well that's not really relevant it's not really useful and that they're typically fairly inexperienced and they had the, the normal anxieties that we've heard about this morning about about teaching about what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to or what if a student disrupts the class or whatever um, so you know the typical uh, inexperienced teachers So this was the outline of the, the scheme broadly. Um, so these were the core workshops that existed pretty much before I arrived in Liverpool. So they could choose from 
a number of these training sessions. So demonstrator training, uh, uh, demonstrator training, developing your communication skills, small group teaching, your first lecture, assessment and feedback, understanding your students. And any doctoral student could still book on any of those. Um, and you could, do, you could do all of them if you wanted, or just one of them. But if you wanted to progress through the scheme, you had to do at least two of those initial development workshops. Um, and I think, you know, the workshops have their place. Um, particularly, there's a bit of a distinction that happens. So people who were just doing a little bit of teaching or just doing a little bit of demonstrating just to earn a bit of extra cash and they weren't really massively, you know, teachers, they were researchers but they wanted to do a bit of demonstrating, um, would just do these, just enough to get them confident and to get them effective in the classroom. This bit was really intended for those doctoral students who uh, intended to become academics, so I had a very clear intention that that was the path that they were on. Um, in order to access this training, you had to officially be a graduate teaching assistant, and that meant you had to have a letter of appointment from your school to demonstrate that they also thought you were a potential academic of the future, and they were investing time in supporting your teaching development, so they had to have that kind of investment in order to get to this stage. So after doing two of these workshops, they progressed to this stage. Um, the main development kind of intervention in this stage is action learning sets. And that was the kind of really different thing that I think I decided to do with them to, to um, develop their practice. So there are some workshops in this second stage. They did an initial workshop called Developing Your Teaching. So they'd had the initial input and this was about developing your teaching so we talked about kind of reflective models we talked about uh, work-based learning how to learn from experience all those kind of models you'd be familiar with Kolb and um, Stephen Brookfield's work critical reflective work um, we talked about action learning and, and the value of peer support so in this session I talked them through very clearly what action learning sets, how they would work, what they look like, what they should achieve, what the roles of the different people are in action learning sets. And we gave them a little go, put them into little action learning sets and gave them a little uh, go at doing action learning. Then they had a, a CPD framework briefing so that they knew what they were aiming for when they made their associate fellowship application. Then they were put into action learning sets, so there were multidisciplinary action learning sets. Um, they did five of them over six months, two hours at a time, about six or seven uh, graduate teaching assistants in the actual action learning set, which was then facilitated by an educational developer. So I did some and Ellie did some as well, actually. <clears throat> and then they did one further workshop after those action learning sets where they were actually uh, writing their associate fellowship notes and doing a bit of peer review. And then they could, they could do other stuff if they wanted to as well, other CPD workshops, um, or go to conferences, they might have discipline specific support, they might have a mentor that they were working with as well. 
So that was what the kind of big scheme looked like. So focusing a bit more on the actual action learning aspect. And this was the this was the quotation really that struck me and made me think, yeah, action learning might be the way to go. So this is the McGill and Beattie um, definition. So a continuous process of learning and reflection supported by colleagues with the intention of getting things done. And that's the bit that really kind of hooked me really, that this was about getting things done. And I thought, actually, I can sell this to supervisors and doctoral researchers because what we're going to do is get some stuff done. So we're not, you know, it's not all that, it's not relevant to me, I can't implement it. Yes, you can. So this is what the action learning cycle looked like. So in every two hour session, we would go through this cycle twice. So um, one of the uh, students would <coughs> volunteer. I said, you've all got to do this once. You've all got to bring a challenge or question or problem at least once. Some of them had the opportunity to do it more than once. <clears throat> so they came, a presenter came in with a problem or a question and they spent the first couple of minutes telling everyone what this was, this issue that they were dealing with. We had a couple of minutes of questions of clarification and then we moved into this phase which is about the other members of the action learning set asking the presenter questions and the idea is that through these questions they encourage the presenter to reflect on the issue to see the issue from different perspectives maybe to reframe the issue and so through this question and it's about helping that that presenter to understand the problem or the challenge as fully as possible and then we move into, okay, well, what could you do about this? What are the options for action? So in this phase, we'd get the presenter to decide what it was they were going to do very clearly. What course of action are you now going to take to address this problem? The person would then go away, and in the next meeting, they would come back and they would tell us what they'd done and how it had gone. So you get a feel for what they did, what the impact was, a little bit of evaluation built into that. And then the cycle starts again with a new presentation of a new issue. Um, <clears throat> so the presenter's kind of at the, in the centre of this, but actually everybody else in the action learning set is doing all of this stuff that's in the middle. They're, they're developing active listening skills, they're questioning to support reflection and learning. Um, they're developing mentoring or coaching skills. They're learning about how things work in other parts of the university. That's why we made them multidisciplinary. So they could learn what goes on in other bits of the university, what challenges people face. Um, I'd also done a qualification in coaching and at this cycle seemed to me to fit really well with one of the models that we use in coaching quite a lot. Sorry, I forgot to mention this. So at this point, after, they'd, after we'd had all of the discussion here, I would go away or the facilitator would go away and on the virtual learning environment we would upload uh, relevant articles or 
don't know, frameworks or whatever. And part of this process was that the presenter would have to do this reading and then build it into their report back. So we were introducing the theory and the frameworks as the problems came up, rather than doing it up front. We were doing it in relation to the problems as they arose and developing their language around particular issues. So then I thought, okay, we could, we could use some coaching in here as well and we could develop the students' coaching skills as part of this. So in that first workshop where they looked at work-based learning and reflection, we also looked at this, this GROW model that is used in coaching. So um, I talked to them about how this model works, what it looks like, um, and gave them some suggested, suggested questions for each part of the cycle. So here where they're talking about the presentation of the problem or the challenge, we would, we would, as a learning set, try to get them to reframe that as a goal. So instead of them saying, this student's really disruptive, what do I do about it? We would say, okay, so that's the issue. So you, you reframe that as a goal. What do you want to achieve? To get them to think more about their own behavior as a teacher, their own role as the teacher, and also more about their own agency. So graduate teaching assistants often feel like they don't have a lot of power and they can't really change anything. So this was a way of getting them to think about, well, okay, what can you change in terms of how you're managing this particular issue in your classroom? So getting them to reframe as a goal, thinking about the reality, what is really going on, what might be going on, uh, what are the barriers that you're facing, so going through the reality of the situation that they're finding themselves in. Thinking about their options. You've got the goal. You've thought about your context. What are the options for action now? So this is the O from grow. And then once we've figured out what the options are, what's your way forward? What are you actually going to do? And a key part here was for the, the learning set to figure out how committed that person was to that course of action. Were they really going to go away and do what they said they were going to do? So to try to preempt any kind of excuses or barriers at that point and make sure that they were really happy with that course of action to take forward. And it, that's just a model that's used to kind of frame coaching conversations, but it, it seemed to work quite well in this bigger context. Um, some of the benefits of action learning, um, there was the active participation of the doctoral students in their own development, so less of that sense of some academic developer expert being parachuted in and telling them the answers, um, but, but developing their sense of agency, you know, what can you do about this, because there are things you can do, you, you know, you are low down on the pecking order but there are things that you can do to change what's going on in your classrooms. Um, there's a development of teaching or employability or interpersonal skills, especially with that coaching element built in. So getting, getting them to think. So we discouraged them from offering solutions to each other and making suggestions very early on because there's a bit of a, uh, a premise of action learning that actually 
the person who's most uh, expert in the problem is the presenter. They don't know the answer, but they do know the problem. So for other people to be suggesting the answer sometimes isn't that helpful. So it's really about helping the presenter to understand the problem as clearly as possible. And it was really interesting trying to get the the doctoral students not to just try and get a solution straight away. Well, this is what you need to do. You need to go and talk to them. And they, this other person, they go, well, that, that role doesn't exist in my department. Or I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. So thinking about how we ask questions to support learning rather than just telling answers was really interesting and watching them struggle a bit with that was really interesting. Um, they learn by application in an authentic context so we're not doing role plays, we're not doing case studies although they have a place actually they were, they were coming up with things that they could really really go and do in their teaching practice and then hearing about people who'd gone off and tried it and what the result was. It gave them this model and some tools for continuing professional learning, so going round that process. Okay, what's the problem? What's my goal? What's the reality that I'm facing? What are my options? Okay, which one am I going to do? And you can do that individually as that kind of reflective cycle. Or they'd had experience of working with peers and talking to peers. You know, one of the the things that the presenter develops, one of the skills, is an ability to frame their teaching challenges and to make their challenges clear to other people. So it gave them some tools and techniques that I hoped they would continue to use into the future. And encouraging that dis disposition towards continuing professional learning. So the thoughtfulness, the resilience, the criticality and the reflection that Barnett talks about are built into that action learning cycle. <coughs> and if you're familiar with Stephen Brookfield, he says, unexamined common sense is a notoriously unreliable guide to action. <laughs> so we need to keep questioning, you know, what looks like common sense, what looks like the answer. We need to keep questioning that. We need to keep hunting those assumptions, um, you know, at this early stage of an academic career, but on into an academic career. Um, I made it sound like absolute panacea for all things. There are also challenges. <laughs> um, I think the key ones are it's quite resource intensive because we've got we had groups of about six or seven ish, and it, it was an educational developer sitting with them for two hours. And in those two hours, you would only talk through two issues, but you would do it in a very intensive way. Um, and I think there, you know, that resource argument, my argument would be, yes, but actually you get a much better, it's much better use of time than standing at the front for two hours in front of 150 people and telling them stuff. So I would argue it's a better use of time, but um, some of the GTAs really struggled. Um, some, some of them who were less naturally reflective um, struggled with the process. And that's frustrating for them, and it's frustrating for the other members of the set who are asking the questions and trying to prompt reflection, and the person really struggles to reflect, and that's quite difficult. Um, 
and as a facilitator it's it can be pretty exhausting actually mm. it's really for the two hours you're trying to listen to what people are saying listen to what the issues are think about the pedagogy that you might bring in make sure people are asking coaching questions moving around that cycle keeping an eye on time so it's really good for developing your skills because you're doing a lot of it all at once in two hours and then you're really tired afterwards and you have to go and have your lunch or something before you can do anything else um, but I really enjoyed it as well um, I implemented this and then I left Liverpool fairly soon after <laughs> and then Ellie had to deal with it <laughs> in that time I think I dealt with about 30 people that actually went through to applying for their FA, uh, AFHEA 21 of them got it easily um, there were a few who deferred because they've got personal or workload issues so they hadn't quite got to that point when I left and there were a couple who were referred and I think they were probably the ones who I thought they're not massively reflective and they're struggling with this whole process. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was fairly successful and the feedback from the students at the time was very positive. Um, they were going away and doing things and coming back and reporting that they'd made changes to their practice. But I haven't got a really nice evaluation with lots of comments and stuff for you because I left it to Ellie <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> And that's me done. <laughs>